0: grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God which engages us is just one verse of our epistle lesson for today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, where Paul writes, but Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thus far the text. Dear friends in Christ, he is risen, And that is the heart and core of our Christian faith. That is God's good news to you and to all people. That is God's good news that brings light in the midst of darkness, life in the midst of death, and joy in the midst of sorrow. But there is one thing about that good news of Christ's resurrection, and that is that about it, you cannot straddle the fence. You either believe it, or you do not. You either believe that Christ rose from the dead as it is described in the scriptures, or you do not. A 2020 LifeWays research study found that fully two-thirds of adult American respondents said that they believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as described in the scriptures, is accurate. But unfortunately, another one out of five, another twenty percent of the adult American respondents said that they did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And somehow, Another 14% said that they were unsure about their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, in our epistle lesson for today, Paul is writing to Christians in the city of Corinth, a city in modern-day Greece, and some of the people there had a rather strange belief system when it came to the resurrection of the dead. Some of them only believed half of the good news of the body coming to life once again. Oh, they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. They believed that Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected from the dead, but at the same time, they failed to believe that anybody else could be raised from the dead. It was impossible, they said, And so Paul, in the verses right before our text, begins making the case, giving the evidence, if you will, for Christ's resurrection from the dead. He does so by giving us a rather impressive list of eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, people who saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyes. He writes in verses 3 through 7, Of 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some had fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Eyewitness after eyewitness after eyewitness, including Paul himself. This is one of the strongest cases for the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have in all of the scriptures. And most of these people to whom the risen Christ appeared were still alive at the time Paul wrote these words, including most of the 500 brothers to whom Christ appeared at one time. It's as if Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, go and ask them. They saw him with their own eyes. Another strong case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that belief system that some had in the city of Corinth with regard to the resurrection of the dead. Stop and think about it for a moment. People who did not believe that there could possibly be a physical bodily resurrection from the dead at the same time believed that Jesus rose from the dead. People who denied a resurrection, a bodily, physical resurrection, must have known that the case was so strong, the evidence was so convincing, that they could not deny the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Another strong case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ Is not found in the city of Corinth, but in the city of Jerusalem. Namely, that no one ever produced the dead body of Jesus Christ. And no one would have wanted to produce a dead body of Jesus Christ more than the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. No one would want to discredit. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, or any talk of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, more than they would. They never produced a dead body because there was no dead body to be produced. He was alive. He is alive. Just as he predicted he would be on numerous occasions before he actually died. On more than one occasion. He said to his disciples words to the effect, The Son of Man must go up to Jerusalem and be handed over to the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, and be killed, and rise again on the third day. Another time, he said, Destroy this temple, meaning the temple of his body, and in three days I will raise it again. Or another time, he said, As Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the earth for three days. There is no other explanation. As Paul writes, Christ has been raised from the dead. But then, Paul goes on to answer what we might call the so what question. Christ is raised from the dead? So what? In other words, he connects the resurrection of Jesus Christ with what it means for us and for all believers. Paul says Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That term, first fruits, was an agricultural term, one that went all the way back to the Old Testament, And there God commanded that the first fruits, the first of the harvest, should be gathered and offered to Him. It was to be offered to Him out of recognition, first of all, that those first fruits were actually a gift from Him, something that He gave to the people, sort of like our national day of thanksgiving. But secondly... It was done in recognition that there was still an abundant, incredible harvest out there in the field yet to be brought in. So also with Christ's resurrection from the dead. He is but the first fruit. And there is an abundant, incredible harvest, if you will, yet to be brought in. And in Revelation chapter 7, we see the image. We see the vision of that incredible harvest. An incredible number of people standing before the throne of God. So many that we are told they cannot be numbered. People from every tribe and language and nation. People there from, first of all, the people of the Old Testament times who believed in the promise that God was going to send a savior, send a redeemer and people also from this New Testament era. People who believe that the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, that his life voluntarily and willingly given on the cross is payment in full for all sin and for all evil, so that there is nothing more to be done, not by Jesus, not by us, not by anyone. And how comforting, how encouraging isn't that vision we see of that great harvest before the throne of God. It is particularly comforting and encouraging, for example, when death takes one of our loved ones from us and we must say goodbye for a while. Some of you know that for the better part of 10 years, I did ministerial recruitment work for our seminary here in St. Louis. And that ministerial recruitment work involved a lot of travel. Typically, I would leave home on Monday morning, go to Lambert Field and fly somewhere, and then return on Friday. So then, on Monday morning, I would say goodbye to my wife, Anne, and my son, Nathan. And throughout the entire rest of the week, I look forward with anticipation to coming back home and being reunited with my wife, Anne, and my son, Nathan. Isn't that the same for you and for me concerning our loved ones who have gone on before us? Don't we also look forward with great anticipation to going home and being reunited with them Paul tells us, and we are told in other places in Scripture, that that reunion will not be merely a spiritual or a virtual reunion. It will be a physical, bodily reunion. And it will not be just for a little while, but it will be for the rest of eternity. For elsewhere in this chapter, Paul describes the bodies that we will be raised in as being immortal bodies no longer able to die. Just imagine that reunion with no more sin, no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. God says, I am making all things new. And that eternal reunion will commence on the day when Christ returns. Not returning in meekness and humility as he came the first time, but returning in all power and glory and majesty. It will come on a day that has been fixed, has been set, and is known only to the Father. We cannot know when it will be. We cannot predict when it will come. In fact, Scripture says it will come in a time that we do not expect. And we are told also by Peter that it will come like a thief in the night. It will not be a long, drawn-out process. Paul says it will come in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And we are also reminded in our text that all of this is made possible by one man, the God-man Jesus Christ. For as Paul writes, through one man, death entered the world. That man, of course, would be Adam, Death being the result of the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And when Paul speaks of death, he's not only speaking of physical death, but much worse, a spiritual death, an eternal banishment from God and His love and His mercy. But he goes on to say that by another man, the God man Jesus Christ, comes the resurrection of the dead. For it is only through faith and trust in the God-man Jesus Christ that we have abundant and eternal life in the presence of God with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very simple. As Paul told the jailer at Philippi, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so today... We gather together with Christians around the world to celebrate the fact that death does not have the final say, that the grave is not the final resting place, that life is not just a meandering through this world without any purpose at all, but rather that Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, and so also he will raise us and all believers, just as he has promised. As Paul says at the very end of this chapter, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in this one true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.